Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. And I'm John Howard with Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Senator Tom Umberg of Orange County. Hi, how are you? Fine, how you doing? Uh, I'm swell, thank you. Thanks for very much for taking the time uh, to chat this morning. The reason I wanted to get in touch with you is a couple things. Uh, you have a prosecutorial background. You're a federal prosecutor. Uh, you know the ins and outs of prosecutions and the law at the federal level. Um, and I, I wondered if we could chat a little bit about that as it relates to the governor's announcement a couple days ago on commuting life sentences, essentially a moratorium on executions in California. We've got the largest death row in the country. Um, And he made that statement. It got a lot of positive response from death penalty opponents and very negative response from um, death penalty uh, supporters, including family members Mm -hmm. of victims. And that's what I was wondering if we could chat a little bit about that. Do you have a, a sense of where this is going? Is this a permanent thing? It just lasts as long as his executive order or um, or what? what's your take on that? Well, I think that the voters of California will once again have an opportunity to weigh in on the issue and that, if not determinative, at least should be illustrative of, of where we are. Um, you know, I, I understand the governor's position and I think that you know the governor has been um, a long-time opponent of the death penalty, and I understand his rationale. Um, I come at it from a different angle than than the governor does. Um, I believe that there are some individuals, some criminals, who have committed crimes that are so heinous and are so depraved, and where the level of proof is one where there is no doubt that at that point in time that we as a society should be able to affect the ultimate punishment. California voters um, opposed getting rid of the death penalty substantially, by substantial margin, and then by a much narrower margin on the same ballot, uh, supported speeding up the process, the death penalty process. And we have people who have been on death row for years and years, um, and I think the last execution was 2006, 2005, 2006. I'm wondering... um, would speeding up executions actually uh, win support in the state again? I mean, would, is that something, if we did that, would that make people more comfortable generally with the death penalty? Well, and since, since I'm not on that side, it's speculative for me to be able to judge why it is that some folks... Um, are opposed to the death penalty. But but I would, to your point, I, I think that uh, some of the opposition is because of the delays in, in being able to actually affect the death penalty and then the costs that are associated with that. And so, um, as you mentioned, it's been well over a decade since uh, someone was executed here in California and that, that people made it, some have made a determination while they may support the death penalty they don't support the um, the costs that are the financial costs that are associated with it. Um, now that that's sort of a self-inflicted wound in terms of of the process. That the remedy is not uh, 
to simply say we're not going to um, we're we're not going to uh, execute individuals, criminals who have committed the kinds of crimes that we uh, mentioned earlier. The remedy is to make it a system where uh, we provide competent counsel, where we execute only those who we know um, there is no doubt as to their guilt, and, and certainly give them a fair opportunity to present their defense, but, but once that's concluded and once the appeals are concluded in a timely fashion, that those criminals are executed. The, um, the, the clock seems to just keep getting more drawn out and more drawn out as uh, we go years without an execution. And it must be the burden of that uh, on inmates awaiting an execution date on death row must be, you know, horrific. That burden, psychologically, it would be really difficult to bear. I, I covered an execution in the 90s of, uh, I think it was Robert Alton Harris. Yes, I remember that. And one. when I was at Associated Press, and he was the first to be, to, to be executed in California since 1967. Mm-hmm. It was 25 years. It, it seemed like just a horrifically long time between the between the the commission of the crime and the and the final sentence. Is um, is that something that can be dealt with by an executive order, uh, by a, a a different press a different governor? We've we've got Newsom issuing an executive order, but I'm wondering what happens after he leaves. No, or that's right. That, I mean, it, it, the the law has not changed. Uh, the, yeah. the law remains as, the, as, as it exists, and that is true. A different governor could, could change that. Um, and, and to your point about the sort of long-term anxiety um, that's experienced by those on death row waiting for whatever, either a death by natural causes or some sort of reprieve, um, for, again, for those where there is you know, no doubt um, as to their guilt, and they've committed a horrific crime, I'm, I'm not all that sympathetic. Just not all that sympathetic. Sure. Now, one question. I, I noticed you've said several times that people, that there's no doubt to their guilt should be executed. Uh, that's one of the concerns is that there has been some some evidence that there were people who were wrongfully convicted. Uh, the famous case is Pete Pianesi, who was convicted in 1937 and later... Uh, later found to not be guilty. He was a friend of uh, Newsom's father. Right. So what would you say to the people who are critical of the death penalty in that it's being applied to people who may ultimately turn out to have been innocent or the other major criticism is that it's not applied fairly across uh, equitable lines, you know, vis-a-vis race or, or economic status? So um, I think those are certainly recognizable concerns. Uh, first, with respect to executing those who are innocent, obviously there's no justification whatsoever for that. Um, there are many on death row where there really is no doubt uh, to the extent that there, you know, that we have better forensics today than we did 30 years ago. Um, th- that's helpful, but uh, but if, the, if there's a doubt, then at that point in time, then you, you leave that person in prison for as long as it takes, either for the rest of their natural life, or they have an opportunity through DNA or whatever else may evolve 
to demonstrate that they were wrongfully convicted. Um, it is also true that um, if you don't have competent counsel, that your odds of being convicted increase. And so I, I do think that, that those who are accused of capital crimes should be afforded competent counsel. And, and again, it's a self-inflicted wound if we provide counsel that's not competent and then there are, you know, we spend decades litigating the competency of that counsel. You know, there's a time uh, <clears throat> in California, uh, recent decades, and I think it still extends to some extent today, where um, being, on, being tough on crime was a Republican issue, especially a Republican issue. Careers were made, George Zygmajan immediately comes to mind, but there are others um, who favored prison expansion, uh, augmentation of sentencing laws, use a gun, go to prison, three strikes, uh, retaining the death penalty. The, the hard, uh, tough on crime posture was very much, as I saw it, as a reporter, very much a Republican issue. Mm -hmm. Not completely, but largely a Republican issue. Now we're very much uh, a blue state by registration. Um, we're overwhelmingly Democratic, not only in legislative membership, but in voter registration, and even independent voters have overtaken in registration numbers, Republicans. So even though we're very democratic right now, still, recently, the death penalty was favored by the electorate, and even speeding it up was favored, and I wondered if there's a contradiction there, or is, it, is this an issue that goes across party lines? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, and, I, and I think the death penalty is in a different category than other issues concerning corrections and rehabilitations. So, so for example, um, in my case, as you mentioned at the outset, I was a, a prosecutor. Uh, you know, a prosecutor's job is to both investigate and then uh, prosecute on behalf of, the United, in my case, the United States or the people of the state of California those that, that he or she believes are guilty of a crime and then make sure that there's the appropriate punishment, which historically has been you know, an indicia of whether the punishment is, is appropriate is the length of time. I'm not sure that that's still a, a good way of, of dealing with criminal justice issues. Um, the, the vast majority of those who are convicted uh, Near, nearly 100% come back into society. And so if we don't deal with issues like substance abuse, and if we don't deal with issues like mental illness, we simply incarcerate folks and then release them, uh, it should be a surprise that we have a very high recidivism rate. So focusing, focusing on making sure, I suppose, in the first instance, that, that on prevention, on making sure that, that people have the both the um, education and life skills so that they can sustain themselves and that they, they end up not being involved in crime and to the extent that they have substance and, and mental health issues, we, we address those so that we prevent in the first place and then if not preventing them, then treating them so when they come back into society they, they don't recidivate. That's a much smarter way of dealing with criminal justice than simply lengthy incarceration. And it's also a less expensive way. But, but to your point, I think we're getting, I think we're getting smarter. Um, 
I think I do think that the death penalty is sort of in a you know is it is an issue unto itself in terms of corrections though. You know, you mentioned that you're a prosecutor, and I'm wondering if you can speak to the idea that uh, the death penalty, as the ultimate punishment, gets people who would otherwise be unwilling to cooperate, may, being a, you able to use that as a chit, a bargaining chit, will get them to cooperate in ways. I'm thinking, for example, of uh, Ted Bundy, who was not going to cooperate, was not going to uh, give corroboration of some of his crimes and locations of some of his victims, but was willing to talk about that if they would take the death penalty off the table. And I think they did something similar with uh, Ted Kaczynski. And I'm, I'm sure that that negotiation is going on right now with Joseph D'Angelo, who was the East Area Rapist up here and the original Night Stalker killer down in Central California. So I'm wondering, as a prosecutor, do you have a sense of of what the it would do if the death penalty was no longer on the table? Would that would that really significantly impact your ability to negotiate with, uh, with criminals who were really committing extreme crimes and, and would know that that was just not an option? Well, I think the answer is yes. Um, having every tool possible to both gather the evidence and in the case of, of certain individuals you mentioned, to be able to, to provide some sort of comfort's not the right word, but uh, resolution for families of the victims that that uh, you shouldn't take that tool away from prosecutors to be able to use it to, uh, as I said, to gather evidence and also to provide some level of resolution for, for families. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's a tool that is rarely used, but it's useful to have in a prosecutor's toolbox. Now, do you have any uh, personal experience having pr- prosecuted death penalty cases do you, that you can speak to? So, ironically, uh, I, was a, I started my career as a military prosecutor, and one of the very first major cases I prosecuted was a quadruple homicide. And having dealt with uh, the accused, but more importantly, the victims' families, uh, does inform my, my position. Um, and as a federal prosecutor... I did not prosecute um, death penalty cases, but certainly prosecuted a number of cases where um, we spent significant time with with victims. And you know, the the um, whether whether it's a crime like murder, you know, which destroys the lives of friends and families as well as as well as the victim. Or even a crime like a like a robbery, it, it has a lifelong impact on, on the victim. Uh, and while I, um, as I mentioned, while I think we need to be smart about how we affect both criminal justice and how we affect corrections, uh, we also have to be mindful of the fact that that victims uh, deserve one the same kind of at least the same kind of treatment as those who are accused and convicted. And two, we, we need to be mindful that, that the criminal justice system should be able to provide them at least some sense that their, um, that, that their victimization has gone, uh, I suppose, recognized by society. Is there anything um, that you've seen in the federal system that would, we could learn from uh, on the state you know, in the state side, as as it relates to death penalty, 
prosecutions and convictions and incarceration are you well, I think that the, the one the one lesson learned uh, from the federal system is is making sure you have quite competent counsel I mean you, you know in, in the Oklahoma City bombings you had some of the most talented criminal defense counsel in the country who was representing them uh, they were convicted and the issue of competency of counsel didn't take two decades to resolve so I, I think that that's that that is a lesson to be learned from the federal system. How do how do the, um, how do they do that? I'm curious. Do they is there an office on the in the federal system uh, that goes out and recruits uh, the best counsel they can as a matter of procedure, as a matter of course? Uh, it sounds like they're doing something more efficiently than we are on the state side. I I don't know that. I'm just raising the, the question. Well, some of it is is a, is a private compensation um, and. That's right. I mean, uh, it, I can only speak to it locally, but locally, um, federal judges will engage in even some personal recruitment because they recognize that having competent counsel on behalf of the defendant, uh, it, it produces a, a fairer product in terms of the end result. And so uh, I, I'm not sure if it's just a function of compensation, function of prestige, a function of of federal judges um, getting personally involved, I, I don't, I don't know why, but it, but it, 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 I think is a fact where you you have those who are accused in the federal system of capital crimes end up having counsel that that uh, I hate to judge a whole group of people generically, but but seem to be more. Competent we don't mind side. doing that as reporters. Right. We do that all. Right. Go ahead. Right on the state side. Is there room for legislation out there at the state level to suggest changes that we could be more uh, in conformity with the feds on this issue? Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe pick the best aspects of that if we see them and and put that into effect on the state side. Or is that not a very is that not feasible? I, I guess the question has been muted at least now for the next few years. Um, uh, by, by the governor's action, but uh, sure, sure, uh, we can we can take a pitch from the, from the federal uh, book of justice, I suppose, and learn from that. No, it, it is ironic that this is happening uh, this week and last week. The New Hampshire uh, legislature just introduced a bill, or actually, I think, just passed a bill to repeal their death penalty. And so New Hampshire is not what I normally think of as a bastion of liberalism. And yet here we are uh, doing the same thing in a different manner. Um, do you think this speaks to sort of a movement more broadly about the death penalty? Or do you think we're more likely looking at something uh, that we can take from the vote? You know, the pretty significant success of the vote to keep the death penalty uh, very recently here in, in California. Well I, well, I don't think that there's really a doubt that nationally and even in California there's greater uh, impetus and sympathy uh, with, with those who seek to abolish the death penalty. Um, again, you know, the, the challenge of being in, uh, in the legislature, being in elective office is whether you uh, simply express the voice of the people or you actually try to lead um, in this case, I'm not sure what my constituency would, would say with respect to the death penalty. Um, but I think it's, in, in my own case, it, it, it's a moral issue. So, you know, in terms of 
changing public policy to the extent that there's more and more people who believe that the death penalty should be abolished, you're going to see that reflected in their elected representatives. Um, and some, you know, I, like me on this issue, um, I, I feel pretty strongly about it. So I, I don't know that that's going to change my attitude. I, I don't think it's going to change my attitude. Great. Well, Senator, thank you uh, very much. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation. I want to thank you again, and we will talk to you next time around. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thank you. John and Tim, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And this is John Howard saying um, thank you all, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.